You're listening to the Better Health Podcast with April, a platform dedicated to coaching women in areas of health, lifestyle, and legacy by speaking with leading health and wealth experts and with the goal to inspire women to thrive in their lives today and in the future. Now, on to today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Better Health. Today I am speaking with psychotherapist and relationship coach Babita Spinelli and we're talking all about anxiety and how that can show up in your life, your relationships. It's going to be a really great topic, super relevant for today. So welcome to the show Babita. Thanks April, so great to be here. It's great to have you. So to start us off, I'd love to know first off, where are you from and what was your childhood and family like in regards to health? Sure. So um, I am originally a a New Yorker, a born and raised New Yorker, um, coming from um, an immigrant family. And my childhood was one that was really about um, really trying to sort of balance the East-West dialectic, even though I was born and raised in New York, I think, you know, kind of experiencing a lot around immersing myself into Western culture coming from that Eastern background. Um, And so I did that and I sort of just, you know, had a very strong work ethic. My parents were very hardworking. um, And so I think part of, you know, my life and whatever I chose to do, I wanted to always make sure that I worked hard and rolled up my sleeves sort of thing. Hmm. Nice. That's, that's a great trait to have because not everyone has that um, work ethic instilled in them. And so it's, it's really neat how it was passed down to you. And it's, it's special to hear about, you know, how family has shaped you today. So I appreciate you sharing that. And then what ended up getting you into this health sphere more so I guess you could say like the mental health sphere and being a therapist and everything. Sure. So this is a second career for me. I actually started off um, being a lawyer. So I went to law school, which I actually loved going to law school. I was a lawyer for a while, and then I transitioned into corporate America, and I ended up being on Wall Street uh, doing a lot of, you know, corporate work. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and so I, you know, through that trajectory, I was going through, you know, a lot of different transitions personally, um, figuring out what to do in terms of my relationship, possibly, you know, separating. And I've also felt, you know, that my career as rewarding as it was Mm -hmm. that I wanted to do different kinds of work that I felt would be more meaningful. And so I really worked through that in my own therapy and, you know, decided that what I really wanted to do was be a therapist. My therapist said, have you thought about being a therapist? And so I went back to school and I did all of my clinical training And I realized how much um, I wanted to really like work with people to help them in their life transitions Mm -hmm. and to be able to um, create more like meaningful change with them and support people in all of the different things that they might go through in their life. Having, you know, had my own set of struggles and realizing how important that mental health aspect, Mm -hmm. you know, was for me. 
Mm, definitely. And it's always interesting to hear about, you know, did you experience similar things to as to what you're helping people with now? And so I love that you touched base on the fact that you went through some struggles. And so what age was that around? And um, how did you work through that? And then, um, I guess, what was the timeline like in regards to then you now helping people with those issues? Sure. Um, so um, I would say usually it was around my 30s mm-hmm. that, that all of that stuff started to come up. And one of the reasons why I often say to clients, you know, you're ever evolving is that we often will have ebbs and flows in our life. And so that was a very, you know, sort of challenging period. Um, however, I always encourage individuals to say your challenging period might be more in your 20s and there might be a different challenge in your 30s or something else in your 40s, right? Mm-hmm. But that was my time frame to sort of really sort through what is it that I really want to need. And it sounds cliche, but really what is my truth? Mm-hmm. Um, and being able to lean into that in terms of where I begin and end and not necessarily always looking to where someone else begins and ends. And that's really important, I think, for individuals in, in the work. We often tend to forget that. So as far as clients who see me, they really have a different age range who come to see me. Some of them are very connected because they'll see my story on my website a little bit and they'll be like, oh yeah, I'm in my thirties. I'm going through, you know, career transition or a life transition. But then I'll also have individuals in their forties and fifties that also really, you know, resonate with the journey and still want to circle in and start therapy or start coaching. Mm, definitely. And it's good to know that, you know, it doesn't happen always at a certain age or time in your life. It can look differently for each person. And um, leading into the kind of the next question I have, since we're going to be talking more about anxiety, what does anxiety look like in women's lives today? And where does it tend to show up a lot? Yeah, what a great question. Um, so I work with a lot of women and so anxiety shows up in a lot of different ways and I'm going to just put the pandemic aside for a moment, but I will touch on that as well, since we are in a pandemic. Um, but I would say for women, anxiety shows up in terms of feeling like they're failing motherhood and often that'll come up, you know, you know, either if you are a single parent or in a divorce situation and you're feeling really anxious, you know, are you doing enough? How are you balancing all of that? And then even if you're not, right, just being a mom, there's a lot of anxiety around, you know, how they're parenting. So that's one. See, the second one is really also just roles. So for many women, it's the juggling role of the anxiety around wife, then again, going back to mother, And then also in terms of the workplace, so their roles in the workplace and sort of really looking at how to balance, you know, their role at home and then their role at work. Um, And that creates a lot of anxiety. I'd also say there's anxiety uh, for women um, that come up around culture and community. So how maybe um, comparisons, how they should show up, maybe expectations culturally of what is a failure and what isn't. And that happens a lot, you know, for women too. And then there's a lot of that place for women anxiety, even just around self comparisons, being superwoman, mm-hmm. as I said, and that, and that dialectic <laughs> of, kind of doing it all. And for many women being sort of like these great multitaskers, but sometimes they don't realize how much anxiety they're, you know, they're holding in trying to do it all. 
I bet. And is I my thoughts are that it's probably not like an all of a sudden boom like here's anxiety it's it probably builds up and then all of a sudden it results in maybe a panic attack or something like that what does the process tend to be like does it build up over time how long does that take I mean I'm sure it looks differently per person but can you give a little um Mm -hmm. analogy of that Yes, it does show up differently for everybody. However, here's one thing I always say to individuals is we all have some form of anxiety. There's always that little something, right? But it is what we do with it, how elevated or strong it is, and is it interfering in our daily functioning? And that is the difference between sort of some, what I call like the normalized anxiety, you know, tension, stressors, things come up versus the different stages of anxiety that just get um, have different levels for it. Mm-hmm. So you could have a generalized anxiety disorder, so to speak, that someone may come up with that they're saying, I'm feeling constantly stressed mm-hmm. out, et cetera. And it may be situational, but it may be more elevated than normal. Or you could have the full blown, what I call the, you know, the panic disorder anxiety, where it is, you know, I can't breathe, I feel it in my heart. Um, I, you know, I, I feel like literally suffocated, um, you know, I don't feel like grounded, um, those sorts of things, right? And then, and that's sort of like the more the panic disorder. So exactly what you're saying, April, there are different levels of anxiety and there are often different ways it shows up even beyond the panic disorder, different ways that anxiety can manifest. Sometimes people don't even know that it's anxiety. Hmm, interesting. And do there often tend to be triggers that can result in more of that anxiety, like a certain person when you, you know, let's say you broke up with them and it was not the best breakup. And then also you see them again, you just get this sense of like panic in a way is, are there certain triggers and what does that lead to? What does that look like? Yeah. So for some, you could also have the anxiety that is situational and it is connected to certain triggers. Um, And so for example, as you described, if someone, you know, had a breakup and then they see that person and they start to like notice that they're worried, they have maybe intrusive thoughts, they start to panic. That kind of anxiety is sort of a a situational anxiety that is created by this trigger. It could be what's called like the little T trauma, you know, not necessarily big trauma, which I'll talk about in a moment. And that's what I would call that's like sort of, uh, it's a body memory. So if it's manifesting physically, they've sort of held on to the memory of this experience of their breakup. And then they're just sort of re-experiencing that moment. Um, And so that does exist. If it's a huge trauma, um, and not that some breakups can't be huge traumas, but let's say it really is something, an an abuse situation um, as well, or um, something had happened, for example, you know, you've got things like 9-11, et cetera, really, you know, sort of larger traumas then that is also very significant. That is a body memory. And so it's like the PTSD. So if you sort of are triggered because you kind of see something or smell and it reminds you of it, mm-hmm. then that piece can manifest in very extreme anxiety in the body because the, the anxiety is connecting to what happened and then all these mm-hmm. symptoms start to come up. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So there's like two different types. There's, you know, the smaller um, form and then there's a larger form and that's more tied to um, very traumatic events. Like you were saying, you know, 9-11 and that sort. Right. Where the body really does keep the score. Um, And then we have other moments. uh, I don't want to discount like the anxiety that, 
you know, someone might come in with that say, I've got, I'm taking the bar exam. I'm so anxious or I'm going to be visiting my in-laws. I am so anxious. Things like that, where we start to talk about how to cope or some grounding techniques, et cetera, versus also the kind of anxiety where individuals often sit with very negative intrusive thoughts, mm. consistent, or they have OCD, that's actually an anxiety, mm. a, a manifestation of an anxiety. And so those are also other th ways. So it's, it's um, I call it like there's a map of anxiety actually that sometimes we don't realize how many different forms or the ways it can exist that we may not even identify. Um, I'll name another one, social anxiety, mm -hmm. that one too. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So map of anxiety. Um, it's, it's painting a picture more so in my brain now. If, like I didn't realize there are stages and different types. And I mean, I always kind of thought, but this is painting more of a picture in my brain of what that looks like. Now, does anxiety tend to affect health at all? Like how does that tie to health? And maybe you don't really speak too much into this, but if you do know of anything, well, how does that relate? Oh, absolutely. It really does. And it can show up in so many ways. And I'm so glad we're talking about this mm -hmm. because oftentimes what happens is if we're not expressing our emotions or realizing that we're feeling a certain way, mm -hmm. not talking about it, not identifying it or noticing it, anxiety can store up in the body. Or if we notice it and we say, ah, oh, it's going to be okay. And we push it aside. And, you know, we do, sometimes people do have family histories where one, feelings aren't really spoken about, mm -hmm. or two, they might be like, ah, oh, chin up, mm -hmm. right? Like, come on, or stop being a crybaby or whatever that is. If people have been programmed in that way, or they don't um, get in touch with the fact that they have certain emotions or feelings, what can happen is, the body attaches to it and it stores up in the body. And the way it can manifest and impact our health are things like this. Headaches can often be stored up emotions that are not expressed or talked about. Pain in the muscles and all of that body pain. Insomnia. And that's a common one. People are like, I'm not sleeping. And so you need to unpack like, well, what's on your mind? Oh, nothing. Yeah. Really, like let's try and figure this out. Stomach pain, right? You may have heard of like GI issues, you know, connecting to the mind and body. Um, and then we might have things like hip pain right here, where you know, you've probably heard about maybe with releasing, right? In yoga, releasing what's stored there. So those are just some of the ways. And then the panic attack, mm. or not feeling like you can't breathe. So it does manifest in the body. Now, what are some ways to start to release all that built up anxiety, um, the emotions that are not necessarily addressed? Uh, what are some action steps people can take if they're listening to this and they're like, oh man, like where do I even begin with this? I mean, maybe going to see a therapist is one thing, but what are some little things that they can also implement? Sure, yes. So of course there's always, you know, expressing emotions in therapy, as you said, but yes, there are other things. So I'm gonna start off with, just focusing on um, the body. And I think the first uh, very critical piece is start to notice your body more. The way that you can do that is even just some breathing and mindfulness 
about what do you notice in the body. So I tend to start my sessions with, let's just take a pause. So anything you notice in your body and what it might be speaking to. And then oftentimes it's like, oh yeah, my neck hurts or things like that. Then I would say incorporate movement that always helps with things that are stored in the body. And what that gives us is a felt sense of safety. If we're moving, it could be dance, it can be taking a walk, it can be stretching, it can be yoga, but start to incorporate that into your life so that you're connecting your body with these really positive things and you're allowing yourself to also release physically. Mm. I also say um, meditation, and a lot of times that sounds a little cliche, but it really does help with things that come up in the body, uh, things like that, yoga, also, what, how do you nourish yourself? For example, are you noticing you know, your sleep patterns? Can you create a sleep ritual to help with the insomnia? And maybe it's also being just supported by your village. You can also, if you're not necessarily in therapy, do you have a community of friends or even just a good friend that you're sharing things with as well? So those are just some very basic things. If things seem really exacerbated, then I do often recommend, you know, kind of going into psychotherapy and really trying to understand some of the stressors that you're not looking at mm -hmm. and then work through them and then do the mind-body connection in therapy. Definitely, definitely. And you kind of touched base on talking through emotions and feelings with a friend. So let's tap a little bit into the relationship aspect of things and how does that look like when you're in a relationship and if someone's experiencing it, the other may not be, how do you support them? And uh, what does that look like? Sure, what a great question. I did forget one thing to mention, no, journaling on mm -hmm. the individual side. But yes, great question about relationships. So yes, yeah, so often what happens is one partner may not notice it, um, what the other partner might be feeling. And this is also coming up in the pandemic where you might also have two people with anxiety not recognizing <laughs> you have anxiety. Um, one of the things is to setting a, set aside some time where you can sit with your partner and share your feelings, where you can both share feelings. Mm -hmm. you can say, this is what I call the state of the union. We're going to take a Sunday, have you know our snack or tea or coffee or whatever it is, and let's just check in, how are you doing? And share with your partner what you're experiencing. That can be really helpful. It can really strengthen a relationship. You can also maybe going back to the journaling piece of it, you could also write down what you might be feeling and share that way. Sometimes you find it hard to verbalize. Say, I have something I really wanna read to you. I've been working on and realizing that I have all these emotions coming up and it's manifesting in anxiety. You can also lean in to your partner and say, I'm wondering if we can talk about what we might need from each other. So let's say you're both experiencing anxiety, how can I support you? Or if only one person is, I'd love to be able to share that I need some support here. That support can be someone encouraging them to speak about what's happening, although you don't wanna overload the relationship either. The partner's not, you know, can't always take everything. Right. Um, you can also do something like, you know, it'd be great if we can both go for a walk with each other. That really helps my anxiety. I'd love for you to, you know, be there or support me that I need to go for a walk. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes, especially, let's say for a mom, 
she might really need a break. Mm-hmm. And say, I'm having a lot of anxiety and I've created this self-care plan. I would love for you to support me on it mm-hmm. because my anxiety is like at a 10 right now. It's really up there. Mm-hmm. And now as the other person that may not be experiencing the anxiety, what are the do's and don'ts for them? Like, you know, do um, support their feelings and um, ask questions, but don't do this. What are some do's and don'ts for that type of person? Mm. Yeah, so I would say don't don't feel like you have to fix it. Mm. Yeah. You do not have to problem solve the situation. You know, a lot of partners feel that way. Like, well, if you did this, well, I don't know, why don't you do this? Just be present and actively listen and just say, what do you need from me? Mm. I also recommend try not to judge. And if you need to feel educated on it, because oftentimes it's about the other party who doesn't quite understand it. Unless you've really been in touch with it, you may not understand why someone might be feeling that way. I'll give you an example. When anxiety comes up um, after maybe a mother has given birth or she has anxiety before giving birth too, mm-hmm. and a partner may not quite understand it, and say, it'll be fine or you're fine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then it might be... Um, for the partner to recognize that that doesn't always work, right? Mm-hmm. It makes them feel dismissed and not understood. So I would suggest to a partner, don't try and fix it. Try not to be judgmental or dismiss it. And if you feel like you need to learn more about it, it's okay to ask. I'd also say um, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's your fault. Mm-hmm. So sometimes partners get a little defensive. That might mean for the partner with anxiety not to say you've done this or you've done this because of you, I have anxiety, um, et cetera. Maybe try and share it. I feel this. And so this way the partner also doesn't feel like they're to blame and they can take it in better. So those are just some, I'd say, tips that I'd recommend. Mm, that's great. And it's it's really important to focus on your language and how you word things because, you know, one person might not think that it the way they just worded something was, you know, defensive or accusing, but the other person could totally have thought that. Um, Now, what if you're in a scenario where the person that is experiencing more of the anxiety is just like, I don't really know how you can support me. Um, What, what would be the best situation there? Mm -hmm. I would suggest if that person is not sure I would suggest that the partner say, would it be helpful if you got some help? Would it be helpful if you joined a group that could help you with that? Um, Is there something that you might need? I would recommend, you know, maybe you could start to journal your feelings and that might help you figure it out. Because it is important to recognize that our partners aren't our therapists or coaches or anything. They want to be there, but they can't always hold the space. They can't always figure it out, but they can open up to space to say, I understand if you don't know yet, Mm -hmm. I'm here for you. And maybe you could start your journey in trying to, or I can help you try and figure out ways to figure it out if you want me to. And, you know, maybe it just takes a little bit of time for them to think about it overnight and or journal their thoughts of how the other person can support, because maybe they're more of that internal processor or, you know, there's different types of processing. And so, yeah, it definitely it's, you know, thinking about it and or maybe taking the next steps. 
to help. Right, take your time. It's okay um, to take your time with it. Because also, um, you also may have someone who's so paralyzed with their anxiety that they really just don't know. Mm. There's also a lot of fear. If someone has a panic attack, they really feel like they're having a heart attack. And there's so much fear around it too. There's also a lot of shame. Sometimes they don't know how to get help or how to ask for help because there's so much shame around it. Shame, fear, maybe even guilt around it. So I'd say, you know, one small step at a time and for everyone to just lift a bit of that pressure that people put on themselves when that word anxiety comes up in the relationship or even individually. Mm, definitely, definitely. And now what does this look like in children? I'm not sure it, what your experience is with them, but I feel like a lot of children nowadays experience some sort of anxiety. So what does that look like with them? Mm -hmm. um, what I've seen that comes up for children is it can also come up with panic. It can come up with acting out you know, being angry, but really it's anxiety. Mm. Uh, it can come up with fear. Mm. It can come up in the body, right? My leg, you know, the leg syndrome, my legs hurting, um, and, or headaches as well comes up mm. for children. So it comes up in that way too. And I think I often, you know, I tend to work with more around teens and some adolescents in my practice, but I tend to work more with adults. But my experience is um, in that stage is for younger, younger children, they do really well with like play therapy, art mm -hmm. therapy, because oftentimes it's hard for them to identify words. Or in the past, when I have worked with younger children, what I love, and I use this with adults too, is what's called the feelings wheel. Mm -hmm. So they can recognize some of their emotions and they'll say, oh, they'll see that they'll see a face that's like someone really stressed out. <laughs> or they'll see another face, right, of like something that happened. So I like the feelings wheel so we can identify our emotions that are then lending itself to the anxiety. Mm -hmm. And it's good that you bring that up, that it's not only for kids, but it's for adults as well, because there are so many adults that kind of push off their emotions and feelings. I mean, there are some that can identify them so well, but there are some that really struggle with that because maybe they haven't grown up with an environment that acknowledges feelings. And so using something like that, a tool like that can really help um, an adult to distinguish what am I experiencing right now? And then therefore from then on out, they can also use that tool for their self and then use it for others as well. It's so true because sometimes we really don't know um, and so that feelings, real. I love using it. I love to use it even in relationship work with kids. I think it's a great thing too, because sometimes we really don't know. And I think um, where our minds go to is often when we're feeling anxiety is one, we're not sure what it is or what we're feeling. Two, it goes to the most dangerous place. All we can think about is the worst case scenario. So I like to be able to take that step back and say, okay, let's first unpack what is the feeling. Now let's okay, now that we know what it is, what, what's the feeling attached to? What might be certain situations? Ah, so that feels really dangerous. That feels like this awful thing is gonna happen. This is where you're going. Now let's re-engineer backwards. Mm. Let's see what that did happen. What could we do about it? 
Yeah. Let's see so what could that really happen. And now let's look at, is it something that really could happen or do we, is it the narrative that we've created? Interesting. Yeah. So it's not only identifying the feeling, but then thinking back to like, what is this attached to in doing the, the processing and the work of, okay, now let, let me think about my past and when often does this feeling come about and why and oh then figuring out like years down the road or years beforehand they experience something very similar to when they experience that certain feeling now yes yes and you bring up a really important point too which is a concept and we could do a whole podcast on this on attachment mm. where someone realizes as we go all the way back and uncover and go to childhood and etc that that anxiety is so deeply rooted to their attachment style maybe they didn't have a very present parent mm. if you can go as far back as them remembering crying and wanting a parent to hold them or be there or a situation even with a teacher that created all this anxiety and so we have these traces of anxious attachment and then this light bulb moment that it's their inner child connecting all the way to anxious attachment pattern that's been built over time. And they keep repeating it, not realizing that they've formed anxious attachment and every situation has just added to it. Mm. I'm so glad you bring up the attachment theory. It is so fascinating. And it's something yeah. I learned about like in the past year or so. Definitely um, part two with you will be on the attachment theory for sure. <laughs> yes, that's a whole other thing. Um, for whoever's listening, yes, if you're curious, you know, take a look, look it up. And, mm. you know, really interesting. But yeah, April, you and I should talk about this because yes. it is so fascinating what we learn about it. 100%. I, I agree. So we'll have to schedule something on it. <laughs> um, so to start to wrap things up, what are a few key takeaways that you have for lis listeners in regards to anxiety, relationships, anything we talked about or anything on your heart? Sure. I really want to be able to say, you know, um, to normalize anxiety, that anxiety exists, you know, it's the fabric, you know, in our lives. Um, stressors do come up. It is okay to ask for help. Um, and to look at it and realize that when we push aside our emotions, it can rest and store up in the body and our bodies are talking to us. Mm. They're sharing, they're trying to tell us, there's a story going on here. Please, please pay attention to it. And if we pay attention to it, we can circle back and figure out what's going on. So I'd really love anyone who's listening to like, you know, just take that in and start to be a little bit more attuned to that. And also to say that there's lots of way to, ways to cope. And so it is, it can be really scary, but there are lots of tools out there that can really be helpful to replace some of those negative anxious thoughts to positive ones, to start to like utilize other coping mechanisms that you and I talked about earlier in the podcast around bringing in some mindfulness, being able to like nourish your body and do some stretching and connect with that so that you help your anxiety. And then in the relationship space, I really say like communication is so key and to really be able to feel like you can be vulnerable with your partners around it, you know, talk about it. Definitely, definitely. Great takeaways right there. Thank you for those. 
And now our rapid fire questions, <laughs> a little mm -hmm. less deep. <laughs> sure. Uh, the first one I have for you is who's the most influential woman in your life that could be past, present, maybe you met them, maybe you haven't. Um, anyone is on the table. Sure, what a great question. Um, boy, um, there's so many, but I would say the, the person that actually comes to mind, which is um, one of many, is Brene Brown. Oh, yes. uh, I love her work and I really love how she has introduced how to be vulnerable, how she's narrated stories to help us connect with shame, um, how she's brought in empathy. And I think she's been really quite life-changing for individuals who end up like reading or listening to her tech talk. So I would say she's been quite influential and she's really influences my work as well. A hundred percent. Great, great um, person to recognize there. And then the next one I have for you is what is your favorite food? And this is fun because I read your bio <laughs> on how you love good food. I myself <laughs> do as well. So I'm super excited <laughs> to hear what you have to say. <laughs> I love sushi. I am such a big sushi fan and I love trying all these different rolls. And just the other day, you know, I ordered in some sushi and it was like called like the heat roll and it had like jalapeno and all sorts of interesting cilantro and all sorts of different things. So I'd say sushi is one of my favorites. I'm, I'm there with you. I love it. I love trying all the different rolls too. Nothing's off the table. <laughs> Are you a past, present or future thinker? So interesting because the lawyer in me, right, from my past career is always future thinking because you're always thinking about planning and how you're going to address something that could happen. Mm -hmm. But I would say that I do tend to be more present now and really just focusing on what can I claim today or this week and the next week? What am I claiming from this week and really practicing that present mindfulness in my life? Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. And what is your favorite travel destination or a dream destination of yours? Mm. My favorite travel destination. Um, boy, I feel like I have so many of them, but I would say that I love London. Um, I lived in London. Um, I just I love sort of um, a lot of what it has to offer as far as the arts, as well as um, just its landscape. I love the, you know, the English countryside. So I would say that's probably a favorite destination. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. What are a few other places you've been to? Because I love to travel as well. And so it's always interesting to hear. Oh, gosh. Let's see. Costa Rica mm -hmm. that was a great place. And I stayed on this coffee plantation and also went through the, you know, the, they're like the rainforest. So I love the whole like echo therapy, you know, um, landscape there. Um, I also would say uh, Dubai, mm. a really amazing place to visit um, and just so interesting to be in the Middle East and also like to ride on the sand dunes were great. And then I actually also loved traveling around the States. So oh, yes. really enjoyed Georgia and sort of um, kind of, you know, North Carolina and doing that drive. And I do like Napa Valley and going out to California. Um, and wine country is wonderful also. So those are just like a sprinkle mm, of things. That's awesome. And and oftentimes people don't think to say the United States, but we are truly blessed with such a diverse country and so many things. I mean, from deserts to mountains to beaches and um, more of like a rainforest environment. Like we 
we have quite a diverse country and it's really awesome. We really do. And it's interesting that you say that because one of the places that I do love that I didn't mention is Paris. Mm -hmm. But when I was in Omaha, I sat at a, at a cafe owned by, you know, two people that had, you know, moved to Omaha from France. And I had this really lovely experience having French food in Omaha, Nebraska. You know, so, you know, you just don't know what you're also going to find in your country, in the country you live in. Definitely. And who would have thought in Nebraska that you'd be sitting at like a French cafe? That's <laughs> so awesome. I don't know why we did Paris. I'm like, oh, I love this. It's so cool. So cool. Man. And the last question I have for you, are you a reader? And if so, what are you reading right now? I am an avid reader. Um, right now, I'm actually reading something that I've read before, which is Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now. Mm-hmm. I have felt that has been really helpful in terms of what's going on in the country today. Mm-hmm. And we sit in a lot of uncertainty in so many ways. And it's been, you know, kind of a tough, you know, for many 20 20 and then moving into 2021, we're all looking in a very hopeful, encouraging way, etc. So I'd say the power of now is such a powerful book, helping you to be present and really see how if you look at the now and not sit in the anxiety of the what ifs, what a difference you can make and how transformative that can be. So I am rereading it right now. Nice. Great book to put in the show notes, definitely. And uh, last thing is, how can listeners connect with you, Babita? Well, they can go to my website, babitaspinellygroup.com. And there's all my contact information that's on there. And they can also, you know, follow me on social media. I have a group called Relationship Fixer Upper Group. Mm -hmm. Um, I also love to put out content on you know on facebook etc so they're welcome to also just kind of look at those resources and reach out to me there i do respond and and i'm happy to respond in any way that's helpful awesome that'll all be in the show notes for sure oh man it was a pleasure babita thank you so much for your time and your knowledge and willingness to just be on the show and give to listeners thank you my pleasure april it's great to be on your show